How are we doing this morning? Good. We having fun yet? Good. I hope so. We're about to have more fun, I think. I was, uh, today's going to be a little more interactive. I was thinking just now about, I heard someone say a while, a long time ago, that in any message, there are three parts. There's the, the message that's spoken or delivered, there's the speaker, and there's the listener. And all three of those need to come together for the, the best takeaway. And today, I just I feel like with what we're talking about, it's, it's going to be helpful for us to have a little discussion, and we're going to hopefully have time for a couple questions at the end, um, and a little like a practice exercise here towards the beginning as well. So hope you're feeling your fall energy and ready to go. But we're talking, we're continuing the series we started last week about what is truth, looking at knowing and living in God's truth. And our first couple weeks are kind of about what we got to avoid to get into the truth. And so last week we looked at Pilate and how he had the truth standing right in front of him, but he missed it. Um, and then we talked more in our community groups about Peter, how he did the opposite, at least part of the time, where he like, had revelation of what the truth was and, and lived that out and proclaimed it. Um, today we're talking about an interesting title, Deception and Propaganda. Deception and propaganda, maybe not what you expect to hear every Sunday morning, but that's what we're talking about today. Uh, I got taken by some deception and propaganda earlier this week, a little bit. I was, I'm not really a video game guy, but I saw I was on Instagram, I'm not really that big of an Instagram guy either, but there was an ad for a Tetris game. I don't know if you guys know what Tetris is, but it was one of the games I did play when I was growing up, one summer in particular, it's this, you know, blocks that drop down, and I'm sure I was targeted because of my age and it fit the demographic or whatever. <laughs> so I like, oh, cool, this, you know, I've always wanted to find that. I've actually looked for it before and like couldn't find a good version. And so I, free Tetris, I clicked on it, and there was a level of deception involved because the game that I got was not Tetris. It wasn't even a knockoff of Tetris. It was a totally different game. It had blocks in it. And it wasn't Tetris, but I was like, man, this is a bummer, but I guess I'll play it. And so I, I played it once, and it was really like intuitive and easy. I was like, this is a really good game. And so I played a couple, and I thought, you know, this might be something I do, you know, every once in a while. And, but I, you know, you know where the story's going. So I, um, I, I played a couple times. I was like, well, just, just, it's kind of late at night, but like, I'm ready for bed. But just one more game before I go to sleep. And before I knew it, like an hour had passed as I'm trying to beat my high score. And I'm an hour past where it was already a little late. And this, like, and the next day I did get, like, an actual, like, oh, here's a Tetris download. I tried that one, and it was closer to Tetris, but it still wasn't Tetris. So, anyway, I didn't even, but I kept going back to my game. I did, that happened, like, three or four nights, and I just was realizing it was like kind of sucking the life out of me. Like, I was like trying to like, you know, have, it was a, it was, there were some moments of joy, but it was increasingly losing that and becoming more of a compulsion and taking away my sleep. And so it was kind of sucking the life out of me. And so I just, so I decided just to delete the game because it, it wasn't worth it for me. But I thought about that, like that there were intelligent people who intentionally schemed to lay things out to get people like me through this deception. And there are intelligent actors. And um, last week we talked about how we miss the truth because just of kind of our own stuff that can cause us to be misled. But when we look at the real 
aspect of knowing the truth, there's a whole other dimension, is that there are spiritual enemies. There are intelligent entities who are smarter and more powerful than the people who made that dumb video game for me, who are very intelligently scheming to capture and destroy the lives of people and nations. And so the, in, in, the, in one of Paul's letters to Timothy, he said, I, don't be unaware of the enemy's schemes. It's important not to be unaware of, you've got to know your enemy to some degree. And so it's important not to overemphasize the enemy, but it's also important not to underemphasize the enemy. And so the enemy is not on, you know, he's, he's not on page one of the Bible, because it's really what we need to focus on the most is God. But he does come in on like page two, all right? And he's like throughout the story of the Bible, and it's very important to realize that evil is real and to, to know how to be aware of, of his schemes. And so we're going to look today um, at how that works. But before we do that, I want to do this, an example that I would consider uh, something you've all probably seen, that from a Christian perspective, that I believe there's a level of deception and propaganda in this. And so we're going to just see, give you all a chance to identify some of that. So do we have it? Let's show this. This is the sign. How many of you have seen this? Whoa. Step on something there. <laughs> you guys seen this before? All right. Yeah. My dearly beloved neighbor has one of these in their yard. Um, I, th these are around. So you've seen the signs. We believe black lives matter. No human is illegal. Love is love. Women's rights are human rights. Science is real. Water is life, and justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So, what do you guys think? Can you, is anyone, just a few of you, anything in here that's looking from a, like, a God-centered, biblical perspective, where you would say, you know, there's an aspect of this that I would consider to be deception and or propaganda. Let's just talk about that. Science is real. Science is real. Okay. Why is that deception propaganda? Um, because the entire purpose of science is to prove what, not to prove, but to illustrate as closely as you can what the limits are as opposed to proving what is actually real. There's no way to actually prove with science that something is real. There's a way to create a law that's, as we know it, inviolate, but there's no way to actually prove reality through science. Okay. All right. Good. I'm going to talk a little bit more about science part later on, too, because that's a big one. Great. Insightful. Anything else? Yeah, Clay. To me, it's like everything that is on there is true, but it's the belief system attached to it that we know have a slant. And there's like, there's a false motivation that we know is driving all those statements um, that we know is like not actually what that's saying. So. Yes, you all hear that? So basically, those statements are true, but there's a belief system attached to it. That is, is not true. Okay, can you give an example? One of those. Or should we say that for everybody else? Love is love. Um, I think it's like, okay, who's defining that? Is it the world that's defining that? And you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, we all know like that would be saying like a pro LGBT message that like same sex attraction is the same quality of love 
as any other love, which would be different than what God's word says about love. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Those are good. Uh-huh. Build cool things to be able to connect us to other people. And so he created science and it is real. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the but? <laughs> but it, it has the it has the lens of, of like the science that I agree with. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's my science. Yeah, yeah, the science. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The capital science. Yeah. Yes. Right. Science is a god. Kind of. Yeah. Great. Well good. Um, anyone else? One more, maybe. Let's give room for one more if there's somebody else. There's like, women's right to human rights is like, is true, but like, there's no right to abortion. Which is what's said. Right. There's another issue. Yes. So yeah, women's rights are human's rights. Yeah. Um, but that, oftentimes, the, the real, like, big part of that message is, okay, therefore abortion is okay. So it's, it's similar, it's not on this one, but the whole idea of reproductive rights is the same. That it's really, it doesn't mean the right to reproduce, it's the right to end a pregnancy. Not, it has nothing to do with reproductive rights, actually. Yeah, good. Well, we are surrounded with, you know, these messages are very prevalent in our culture, and we're bombarded with, with messages all over the place. You know, what's interesting to me is that this sign is in the window. I saw it this, I've seen it the last couple of weeks at Arrow Coffee, which is a local coffee shop that was started by a couple believers from a Bible-believing church here in town. And so I'm, I kind of want to know, what's the story? Like, why, what, what happened? But it's just like these ideas are so pervasive and all around us. And so it's, as followers of Jesus, we have to have the ability to discern between what is true and what's not. Uh, so we're going to look at the original deception and propaganda today in Genesis chapter 3. Well, well-known story, but sometimes we get, we get stuck on, you know, kind of the stereotype or the, like, nursery rhyme version of the story that we have. Not nursery rhyme, but what's like a uh, fairy tale, kind of. It becomes like a fairy tale. You know, and by the way, there's no apple in the story. It doesn't say that. It says the fruit. So just Bible knowledge 101 right there. But so this is when the serpent deceives and leads Adam and Eve astray. So we're just going to read through this and, and kind of break down how the enemy's deception and propaganda works. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. First thing we want to see is that evil invades the world and evil invades other entities. It's, it's kind of wild that in this perfect world that God made, in this garden that was lush and fertile and there was no sin and the relationships were unbroken and Adam and Eve walked with God, but in the middle of the garden there was a snake. There was this serpent who was the embodiment of evil. And it's a little hard to know exactly, like, was that like, you know, what were they seeing? Is it, but it's evident that this, was, this is one of the lesser gods who God had made, um, you know, basically understood to be the devil, the leader of the devils. Um, but 
he took on the appearance of a serpent. And we know, you know, spirit beings don't have physical bodies, but in this situation, he became embodied in a serpent. And evil always, it doesn't have power until it finds a host. It doesn't have power until it gets someone to agree with it and open up to it and let it come in and begin to take over. And so we see, you know, if you look at evil spirits all throughout Scripture, it's, you know, Jesus, much of Jesus' ministry was delivering people of the powers of evil that had deceived them and entered in and they had, take, had taken over to some degree, had taken residence in their being. And so evil always invades and he seeks to, the Bible talks about don't give the devil a foothold or a stronghold. It's easy as we open up, when we give, when we listen to the lies and we agree and yield, there's a place that we, we open up to. You know, the, the story last week about Peter that we talked about in our community groups. Right after Jesus told him, hey, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Good job. I'm going to build my church on you. Then Peter said something right after that that was his own agenda that was in agreement with evil agenda because it was saying, hey, God, Jesus, don't die. No, don't go to the cross. And Jesus looked at him and called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. And so in that situation, Satan had taken up residence. It had invaded him. And so evil comes. It ceased to take up residence in people's lives, and not only in people, but in institutions as well. And so throughout Scripture, there's this motif of, of the beast. You probably, you know, it's like in times, Revelation, who's, what's the beast? But the, the beast is imagery we see in the prophetic books like Daniel and then in Revelation. It's where governments are aligned with false gods, with powers of darkness. And there's evil seeks to infiltrate and inhabit those human systems. And, you know, governments are about the, one of the worst places where evil can get the most power. When, when it is aligned with the belief system and with, with gods that are not the one true God. And so evil invades governments, um, but also other institutions as well. We've got to look at it, uh, evil invades media. E evil has sought to invade and has invaded education. Evil invades churches. You know, there's, from the very New Testament, we see that there were these false teachings trying to come in and take over. And much of Church of, the history of the church is churches being taken out by believing the wrong things and no longer be being the, the real church anymore. So evil invades the media, education, business, science. We talked about that. Medicine, religion. Um, there's, we gotta, when we're looking at evil, it's not only our personal thing, although that's very important and probably the most important place for us to deal with, but also as discerning people, we've got to see, like, where are these institutions affected? by deception and propaganda. Uh, the next thing we see is that, is that our enemy is, is very cunning. So you're uber cunning. He's just like very crafty. So not only is he deceptive and destructive, but he's very, very intelligent and good at what he does. Um, so we read that already. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And let's look at what he does. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened 
and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the enemy's crafty approach. And you got to think, like, this is the hardest sell ever because these are people that are intelligent. They have not been corrupted by sin. They're in a healthy, open relationship with God, close relationship with God. But his craftiness is such that actually he's going to lead them astray. His propaganda is such that he's going to get them to buy into it. And so he, the first thing he does is he goes straight for the foundation of everything. He undermines their trust in God. Did God really say? And in that is, a, is an accusation that, oh, your God's not really trustworthy. Your God's not really good. Did God really say you can't do that? How many of you have heard that? You know, God's got to really say, like, he's going to put a restriction on, on that? Come on. Why would he do that? And, it, you know, and he actually exaggerates the restrictions of God. Because God had said, hey, you can't eat from this one tree. But all the rest of the world is yours. Enjoy it. There's just one boundary here. But the devil says, the serpent says, did God say you can't eat from any tree? You know, he always exaggerates the restrictive part of, of God's, God's commands. Um, and so he's undermining. You, you may have heard the saying that, um, that culture, or that politics, are downstream from culture. In other words, the, what's happening in the political world is the outgrowth of what's happening in the culture. So if you want to change the world, you don't need to start with politics, you need to start with culture. But what's also true is that culture is downstream from religion. Whatever people believe about God is going to determine the religion, that, or that is going to determine the culture that we live in. And so the enemy's attack is always to try to, to undermine a belief in the one true God and to shape a culture based on that and then to go from there. Um, he, you know, basically his, 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 his propaganda is, hey, God's holding out on you, but if you follow me and do what I'm saying, you'll be like God. And so he replaces God is God with you can be God. And that's the same scheme that he comes at with us and his, all, you know, people all through history. Um, God replaces God as God with you can be God. What's interesting is that they actually already were made in God's image. They already were like God. He was promising something they already had. But when they followed him, they're going to lose what they had for, and, and come to an inferior place. So the other thing just we've got to understand about his, his cunningness and his strategy is that his language is lies. He's just a liar. That's what Jesus said about him in John 8, 44. He said, when the devil lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so he's, he's a very good liar. That's just what he does. And you know, it's kind of crazy how, how, because of the sin in us, how naturally lying comes for us as well. But this blatant lies. And so we've got to realize that not everything we hear, not every thought that comes into our head is true. Not everything that's presented that seems reasonable it's true. It could just be a blatant lie. And, you know, if your eyes are open, there are blatant lies happening just all the time. I mean, it's just kind of like we're, we're jaded to it because we, we see it so much. I saw one recently. Um, this was just, just so blatant. The, 
this, here's, here's this quote. I'll just read it here. This is a guy from Adrian Monk, who's part of the World Economic Forum. Um, he just said this about some discussion that was happening on the internet and, and in the world. He's, he said, own nothing, be happy. You may have heard the phrase. It started life as a screenshot culled from the internet by an anonymous anti-Semitic account on the image board 4chan. Own nothing, be happy. The Jew World Order 2030, said the post, which went viral among extremists. So basically, he's saying, hey, there's this, you know, all these people out there, they're conspiracy theorists, and they're saying that socialists want to take over the world, but they're just making this stuff up, and they're basically just a bunch of white supremacists and anti-Semites. And, you know, this all started from some 4chan account that, that came up with this phrase, instead it's from the World Economic Forum. But it, we have nothing to do with that. They just made that up. While he's saying that, on the World Economic Forum website is their video of what life will be like in 2030. And the first thing it says is, you'll own nothing and be happy. And drones will deliver your stuff and you'll just rent things. And so it's just a blatant lie. Like, there's, it's, it's right there. But there's just this, this propaganda. Just You say stuff and people believe it and don't, don't actually check the facts. So there's just so much of that happening all the time. The other way we got to realize um, that um, one, one, science and statistics are such ways that are, can easily be lies. You may have heard the saying that Mark Twain said, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And you know, it's so true. Like, you can make numbers say anything. I like how I, Winston Churchill said it like this. He said, the only statistics you can trust are those you have falsified yourself. Because it's just so easy, you know, and studies, scientific studies, there's like, oh, this study says this. And then, like, there's another study that says the opposite. And so science, you know, is, is not so trustworthy. More and more that's coming out. Just in the last week it came out, there's one of the leading scientific journals in the world just retracted 500 articles, 500 uh, articles that they had published because of fraud. And there was a, like a, a peer review conspiracy, basically, which it's always like, oh, peer review, that's the gold standard of trustworthiness. But they, they discovered, oh, well, here's this, like, people that are collaborating to peer review each other. And we have 500 articles and 16 journals, all these disciplines, and they're just bogus. And there's just, and there's been so much, there's so much of that, both just malicious fraud and also just things reinforcing um, kind of people's, people's place in the world invested interest. So we could talk a lot about that. Um, I skipped this quote earlier, but maybe, maybe go back to that. I th this quote is really good. Hannah Arendt was a Holocaust survivor, um, came out of Germany in the Nazi era, and she wrote the classic book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. She said, science has become an idol that will magically cure the evils of existence and transform the nature of man. Now that's so easy, you know, you hear like, the science. And in her era, she's like, yeah, the science said that we should kill everybody that wasn't of the Aryan race. And also all these other people that had physical conditions. You know, the science is, is lifted up as the answer, but actually can be invaded by evil so easily. So the enemy is very, very cunning with that. The thing, though, is, though, that propaganda works. And as we... Um, Continue the story, verse 6. So when 
the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So here, you know, the people least likely to be taken were taken because the propaganda of the enemy can be very effective. And it appealed to their senses, it tasted good, it looked good, it seemed like it would feel good, it um, appealed to their pride, oh, you'll be like God, it, uh, it tricked their intellect, you know, it made sense to them, like, oh yeah, this seems reasonable, but it was effective. Um, and so, propaganda works through deception, through us being deceived, and you know, the tricky thing about deception, this is really, if you only remember one thing today, get this, deception is effective because it's deceptive. Well, I know, it's deep. But if, it, if you thought it was deceptive, it wouldn't be deceptive. Right? It's, it's good deception, you don't realize it's deception. So, that's the nature of deception. I, I read the whole, speaking of the World Economic Forum, I read one of the books they published in the last couple of years, The Great Narrative. And it's like talking about their vision for the future. And it's like it all, a lot of it sounds so good. You know, it's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to clean the environment, and we're all going to be united. And it all, it's like, wow, this sounds really good, and we've got to deal with these problems. But then you step back, you're like, wait, there's no God in this scenario. And they're, they're explicitly saying that what you've got to do is give all the governments of the world more power and control and let them just consolidate all together. And that's what's going to bring this, this great narrative to completion. And so, but it's like, it's a, you know, it's like, wow, these sound like nice people. And, you know, some of them probably are. But it's deceptive because what it produces is not what, what you think it's going to produce. Um, so propaganda works through deception and then also through passivity. We're told in, um, in 1 Timothy 2 that, that Eve was deceived, but Adam actually wasn't deceived. He was just passive. He was standing right there, and he didn't do anything. And so we are taken by deception and propaganda, both by being deceived and also by being passive. There's a, a really interesting book I've been reading recently, um, by Matthias de Smet called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And you may have heard the term, um, I always forget it, what is it? mass formation, or mass, mass formation psychosis. And it's looking at times in history, like you look at like Nazi Germany or Maoist China, where the people seem to fall under a spell. And we look at them from a distance and are like, how could everyone believe that? Like, that's crazy. Like, how could everyone believe that? But the, the nation believed that. Um, you look at North Korea today. It's like, man, there are a lot of people, you know? Like, they're believing this propaganda. Um, in Iran, in the Iranian re revolution, there were thousands of people who believed that, they, that the, the Khomeini, the Ayatollah Khomeini's, like, face was... Reflect, was showing in the moon. Like they looked at the moon and they like saw his face. And this was like this mass group psychosis that was going on. And DeSmet is saying, hey, as he starts, he's seen the events of the last few years, 
as a psychologist who's published 150 peer-reviewed peer articles and is at the top of his field, he was like, this is what's happening in our world today. Like the same stuff that's happened throughout history is what is going on right now. And so, but one of the really interesting things he says is that generally about a fourth of the people, like 25% of the population falls under mass group psychosis. Mass, mass uh, formation. Um, and there are like 50% of the people who don't really believe it, but they go along with it. And so that's the passivity. Like it's, a lot of people are like, eh, I don't know, but I just like feel intimidated. And I'm not sure what to say. And you know, I, there's, there's a risk at saying something. And so they go along with it. And so we, we see this at every level. And what's really interesting, we're going to talk about this more next week, but it's the thing that, de that determines if that, that propaganda takes over is if there are 5 to 10% of people in situations where it doesn't take over, it's where there are 5 to 10% of the people who actively resist, who stand up to it, and that determines whether it takes over or not. Um, so propaganda works through deception, through passivity. Um, and then, let's read this next verse here, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And that's, you know, the, the tragic result of them being taken in by deception and propaganda. They, they lost. They, they lost their innocence. We go on and see that they lost their relationship with one another, was severe, severely damaged. Their relationship with God was severely damaged. They're, they were kicked out of the garden. Uh, you know, hardship came into the world. The whole world you know, experienced calamity because they bought in to this propaganda that seems so appealing. And for us, whenever we believe the, the devil's lies in our life, whatever it is, you know, like, hey, this sin, it's, it's going it's to taste good, it's going to feel good, but it always produces death every time. So the, the stakes are, are very high. So, man, how, that's what it is. How do we get out of it? How do we avoid it? I just want to, there's two, two aspects. Basically, how do we get out of it? We, we base our life on God's word, we, on God. And what he gives us is his word and his spirit to avoid deception and propaganda. It's interesting that if you look at history, it's, it's always the Christians who have resisted real injustice. It was the Christians who abolished slavery. It was the Christians who led the civil rights movement. It's Christians today who are leading the pro-life movement. It's, there, there's just, it takes a relationship with God and being built on him to be able to do this. I think one of the reasons that a lot of Christians the last few years have been more aware of some of the deception of propaganda is because we just, like, we've had a worldview that, like, you can't trust all this stuff as much. Like, I mean, I just, if you, like, even just the evolution thing, it's like you grow up, if you're following Jesus and you're like, okay, I know there's, there's a lot in this that's just, it's not as true as they're purporting it to be. My sixth grade daughter, who has learning disabilities and you know, epilepsy and some special needs, um, she's in her science class this fall, and they start talking about evolution, and she turns to her neighbor, I mean, it's just, you know, kind of silly introduction stuff, and she's like, I don't... I, I don't believe that's true. And her, the little girl next to her says, I know, I'm a Christian. 
<laughs> I was like, wow, there's this wild. Like these two little sixth grade girls and you know, my daughter with serious learning disabilities, but they're able to, like, because they have some sort of foundation on God, they're able to see through the, feeling, the silliness that's being thrown out at them. And so God, God gives that to us. Um, if he can do it for them, he can do it for us. Um, and there's, there's an old adage about how do you learn, you know, if you're, if you're training people to, to find counterfeit money, the thing that you do is you don't study all the counterfeits out there. You really study the genuine article. What does a real $100 bill look like? What are the marks of a $100 bill? And you know what money looks like. And so then when you see the fake, you're like, oh, there's something about that that's not quite right. That's a little bit off. Although it may, a lot of it's very similar. But the more you know the real, the better you are to discern the false. And so God's word is the real. It is true. Jesus, in, in John 8, 32, um, we read, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, abide in my word, like, Hang out of my word. Live in my word. Eat from my word. Stay connected to my word. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The more we know God's word, the more we're connected to God's word, the more we're training our minds to know God's word, the more we know the truth, and the more we're set free. And then it's also the spirit of God. Uh, in John 16, 13, Jesus said, When the spirit of truth comes, the Spirit of Truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. So, it's along with studying God's Word, learning His Word, seeing what it says about things, it's also asking God to give us His Spirit and fill us with His Spirit and look to His Spirit to guide us into the truth. And as we do that, we can, we can discern the truth and avoid deception and propaganda. Um, I've got a few more thoughts, but I want to just take a few minutes here just for questions. I know this is, this is different sort of stuff we're talking about. Um, I think it's, it's very practical and very real in keeping us from what our enemy wants to do in our lives. So, any questions? Not promising I can answer them, but I'll do my best. No questions. All right. Oh, there's a question. There's a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's a great question. Um, where I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of great ways to answer this, but here's where my, my mind's going right now. Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice. And so God's Spirit, you know, first of all, it's asking God, you know, being born again so the Spirit comes and lives in us, and then asking Him over and over to fill us, and then desiring to be led by His Spirit. So the more like, yielded we are and hungry we are, the more likely we are to 
to, to have his spirit present and this, that we can hear it, um, hear him. It really is, though, to some degree you learn through familiarity. Like I just was reading about how babies, actually when they're born, they, studies can show that they know their mom's voice because they've learned, they've heard it over and over in the womb, and so they can distinguish that from other voices. And God is the same way, like, he starts speaking to us, and the more you listen, the more you know. And sometimes it'll be like, that, that was a thought, is that, like, what is that? I was just talking to someone this week, who's like, you know, I had this thought, and I was like, that was probably the Holy Spirit, because that probably doesn't sound like I thought you would have had naturally. Um, and that seems to me like, you know, and other people can help confirm, you know, other believers, like, you know, that just seems right. That seems like the Holy Spirit to me, too. But there's some degree of then, like, stepping out and trying it, like, acting upon it. You know, as long as it's, you know, not, if, if you have a thought, like, you know, go kill somebody, that's not the Holy Spirit. Don't step on it. Don't step out and do it. Step on it, actually. But, you know, I remember having this thought one day, like, huh, I feel like, I was getting ready to go do some errands, and I felt like instead of driving down Kimball, I should drive down Seth Child to head to the mall for my house. And on my way, I remembered, oh, I need to pick up something at Home Depot. And I went in Home Depot, and then there was somebody there that I ran into, and it was an a conversation that was good. And I realized, I think the Holy Spirit was like directing me to Home Depot to get this thing and to have this conversation. And it saved me time, and it helped somebody. So, but it was like, Okay, next time I hear that voice like that, that good chance that's God. And so that's more like how to be led personally by his voice. Um, there's also, like with, with evil stuff, I think the more you walk with God, there can be what's called like checks in your, your spirit or just kind of a feeling like something feels off. And that's a, something to take seriously. Like that's something not to over, to ignore. It's like, hey, it all looks good. But there's just something like telling me, I'm not sure about that. Like, giving some place to those and, and then pressing into that a little bit more. That's what I, yeah, yeah. There's a, that's a whole, like, world to talk about that there are a few, few thoughts. Good question. Is there another one? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a biblical principle that every matter must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so God speaks to us directly. But it can never contradict. If it contradicts the Bible, then it wasn't God. Okay, so this is the, like, the objective word of God that we stand on. But then he leads us personally. But then there's also confirmation from other believers or getting input from others. Hey, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think about this. I'm in this class and there's this stuff. And it seems right, but I'm just not sure. What do you think? And so there's like getting wisdom and help from other people. Yeah, it's great. Good, okay. Any other? Yeah, Clay. I don't know if it's a helpful question, but... Oh. <laughs> we'll see. Sounds like a fun one. Um, the list that you put up in your 
Yeah. Uh-huh. And to me, I don't think that the gospel, like it doesn't make sense to me that the gospel would line up with a certain political affiliation. Like it has to be deeper and more fundamental than just like, oh, you're a Christian because you're a part of this political party or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it seems like there's there's gotta be both. Like mm-hmm. the gospel has to kind of be the sum of both of the healthiest versions of both political I, I don't know. Can you speak to that? that yeah. Well I would say, yeah, so it's very important not to align the gospel with any political party, with anything else. Like God is above everything else and every human institution is flawed. Um and so, you know, that's one of the attacks on, you know, Christians is like, oh, you're just like an arm of the Republican Party and something like that. Although it's interesting, it's conservative Christians are much less likely to talk about politics in church than progressive Christians. That's actually reality. So I'd say that, but I, so it's not like choose this party over that party, but I think to be, uh, just the honestly assessing the situation today, the like the progressive movement and where the Democratic Party is now is totally under the propaganda of the enemy. I mean, I don't. If you look at the Bible as a standard, then you know the, the abortion issue. Like, there's the Democratic platform is, and we're championing the ending of preborn life at any stage and we're fighting for that. And there, there is this movement that is in that part of the political spectrum the, towards socialism, which is more and more government control over everything, which is anathema to scripture, actually, which is about fr- human freedom, and it's about different spheres, the business has a role, government has a role, the church has a role, individuals have a role. And if you, we can look at where, the, I really think those are spiritual ideas, and we've, they've come through history in other places and destroyed nations, you know, we've, it's, it's been, it's a very destructive train. So I think, you know, I, we want to be nice and be like, oh, the best of both. And if, if we say the best of both means like, well, the left, you know, Democrats is more about like compassion for people and caring for the poor, then yes, you know, like that heart, like that absolutely should be, you know, a kingdom worldview that is framing us. But we have to make real decisions about our allegiances and our alignments and, and making sure that we're not aligning ourselves with, with places that are very much aligned with evil, wherever that is. So, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, Tobin. Yeah. Political beliefs. As someone who leans right, but probably is, is more central, say, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm a registered independent. I can't like both sides of the like thing. But being hypercritical of both sides uh-huh. is, is very important in that. And realizing that there's neither one of those is above, like you said, right. neither one of those is above the gospel. And, right. Yeah. yeah, we're the church should be a prophetic voice. 
to every other institution. We should be bringing God's word to bear to every party, every nation, business, charity, like everything. And so the word of God is our, should be our allegiance. And then, you know, from that, we, we make decisions. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, you know, where, where do you bring the, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, like, how do you have that loving conversation and showing them where in, you know, like, I've tried to point people in the Bible before, and they say, well, that's not how I interpret it, and, mm-hmm. you know, those sorts of things. So I guess I'm trying to ask, like, for guidance on how to have those conversations without telling them, like, no, you're voting wrong. I, you know, that's not, that, that's for them and the conversation they have with God, but uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> so, I mean, what, yeah. And it's better for coffee. No, yeah, no, that's not why. I'm the, I, I just think it's, it's a person-by-person situation. How do you illustrate it with Scripture? Well, I mean, it has a, what I'm hearing from you is it's maybe less to do with the difficulty of the Scripture, illustri- like with finding what the Scripture says, and maybe more like getting through the layers of their beliefs and them being open to hearing that. Um, and I don't know, what I try to do is love that person and bring truth into the situation. And I remember, it stuck with me, I heard someone say that truth has a ripening power. Like, truth is powerful. And so we don't, we don't have to like prove the truth. It's not on us to like bring people along. But we are responsible to know the truth, to be in the truth, and to speak the truth in love. And the love is huge. I mean, that's like, if we're not like from a place of caring about people and caring about this planet, caring about the world, wanting God's good kingdom to come and transform things, then this is all just, we're, you know, we're in the wrong place too. But if we really care about God, care about people, care about them, and then we're lovingly trying to present the truth, then it does have an effect. Um, you know, everyone, I'm not, no promises on how they're going to respond, but I think our responsibility is to proclaim the truth lovingly and trust God to do the work. So, good. All right. I think that's what we got time for today. So, we'd love to keep talking. We all will you know, keep talking with people. Um, I think I might go to Sunday night dinner tonight, so I would love to talk to some college students about some of this stuff <laughs> over dinner. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, I just want to end with one, one quote I read. Um, this really speaks to that last question, and sometimes the frustration that we can feel, like, man, how come you're not getting it? And like, how come, like, it seems like our culture is not getting it. But... This is a quote by a woman named Margaret Anna Alice. She says, When I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love have always won. There have been tyrants and murderers, and for a time they can seem invincible. But in the end, they always fall. Think of it. Always. And that's the story of history. You know, there have been, all, <laughs> this is what she says, so much evil, so many tyrants, 
And, but God has had his little people who have stood faithful and somehow like evil implodes upon itself and the truth prevails over and over and over again. And so if we are just willing to be those little people who are aligning ourselves with the truth, then we're going to be a part of that prevailing in the world too. So let me just pray for us and we'll go from there. Lord, help us. Thank you for your truth. I even ask for more of the gift of discernment and understanding that you would help us to see where things are out of whack in our own thinking and actions and help lead us into your truth. God, I pray for even greater hunger for your word and to apply your solutions to our lives and to our callings and the world around us. Trust you for this. Pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.